0: Hey there, welcome to the FBCA College Podcast. My name is Connor Torrialba, and I'm the college minister here at First Baptist Church Arlington. This podcast is a recording of our teaching times that happen every Thursday at 7.30 p.m. at the Student Center at First Baptist Church Arlington. Last week, we talked about how the world will know us by our fruits in light of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. This week, we're hopping all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 to discuss the question of why fruitfulness? Why did God design the world to be fruitful, and how does that inform our understanding of living a fruitful life for Him? It was really interesting to get to write this lesson. I don't think I've ever looked at this passage in this light before, so I learned a lot in preparing. And I love that about studying scripture. There are so many layers to discover, no matter how many times you've read a passage. I hope you find this lesson helpful. An early memory for me of my mom was my mom going to Home Depot and buying a whole bunch of stuff to start gardening. Um, She bought like a tarp so she could like sit on the ground and work on the flower beds and bought a whole bunch of pansies and like mulch and stuff like that. And I remember going out into the front yard and seeing her kind of just working away at the soil and the flower beds um, to get things going. Because she wanted to, you know, find a hobby and enjoy something and make, you know, the place where we lived a little more beautiful. Awesome. She did her best, but as we've all experienced, the Texas heat had other ideas, um, and it was a little too much for the pansies, and they were literal pansies. They couldn't stand up to it. So a bit defeated, my mom uh, kind of didn't get back into gardening really since then. Uh, she's kind of dabbled here and there with some potted plants and stuff like that, um, but over time, a neighbor of ours said, Hey, actually, if you wanted, you can have some of these uh, plant bulbs to plant in your garden. They might do better with the soil and stuff like that. And so she get this neighbor of ours gave us plant bulbs for this thing called cana lilies. Y'all ever seen these things? Yeah. I didn't even know they were called cana lilies until I looked it up. Um, and so I'm not, as I said at the beginning of this whole series, I am not a plant guy, but because we were studying fruitfulness, I have to be a plant guy for these next few weeks. Um, And so what we started out with was like four or five of these plant bulbs to start canna lilies. And fast forward a few weeks and the whole flower bed is just overtaken with these things. Uh, Fast forward a few years and nothing else grows in the flower beds except canna lilies. You can't chop them down because the bulbs will just shoot back up with uh, more plants after time. And what I had to do eventually was like dig them up. Cause it, I was the guy that was left at home and she was like, all right, here's a chore, figure this out. And so I go out there and I would dig them up and I moved into another part of the yard. And sure enough, that part got dominated by these plants as well. Um, it was just a natural thing that happened. I didn't have to do anything. We didn't water them. We didn't even put out fertilizer. These things just went to town. Uh, it was just a natural thing for them to do. Um, and they expanded to fill the flower beds. So we've been studying, and we'll talk more about the Cana in a little bit. We've been studying the concept of fruitfulness in Scripture and what it means to live a fruitful life. As just a little bit of a recap, last week, or two weeks ago, really, we talked about the definition of fruitfulness. We're defining fruitfulness as faithful obedience and patient trust in God for growth. It's about being faithful to obey what He has called us to do, and then trusting God to bring the growth in his time. And that's our guiding definition for all these studies that we're going to go into, which led us last week into our study where we learned that we are rightly fruitful when we are in line with our created purpose. And we talked about the good tree and the bad tree last week. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to be here last week, you can catch up on the podcast. Um, but today... We're going to look at this idea of created purpose a little more in depth, starting in Genesis chapter 1, um, but our big idea is this. We are designed, or God designed creation to be fruitful for the expansion of his goodness in creation. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 1. And if you're there, say word. Word. Okay, we're, we're almost there. Several of us are almost there. To give you a little bit of context before we even read the passage, though, um, at the start of Genesis, what we encounter is an account of God creating the world. Regardless of how you view the specifics of how God uh, created the world, this account gives us some really important information. In particular, it says that God is responsible for creation, but it also tells us that he has a purpose for creation. He did things on purpose. Science does great work of telling us how to understand how stuff works, but what it can't answer is the question of why. Why is there something rather than nothing? And the account of Genesis gives us an answer to that. So that's important to keep in mind as we dive into our first part of the passage, which we read a minute ago, um, but we'll read it again here. It's Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. There was evening and there was morning one day. Our passage starts with light. And what we're gonna see is God creating various things in stages throughout this whole story. Um, But here's a question. Right there in verse 4, it said God saw the light was good. Here's a little question to kind of open up the floor for a moment. Why is light good? Why is God calling light here in this moment good? What do you guys think? Yeah. There's a utility to it, right? Yeah, there's a benefit for it. Why else is light good? What do you guys think? He created it? Okay. Oh, looking ahead a little bit. Anything else? Any other reason why we say light is good? Faith. God said it was good. All right. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. It replaced the darkness. Okay. I, ha- I have a little bit of a hobby. Um... And it has to do with these robots. Um, Does anybody know what Gundams are? Okay, cool. So Patience knows what Gundams are because I build Gundams. Um, I'm not really into the anime that they're from. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a single episode. I should probably change that. Um, But what you can do, and they're not that expensive. You can go to a hobby store. Even Target sells them at this point. Uh, They're pretty mainstream. You can buy this box of a Gundam set. And what it has inside of it, you can see it right there, it has these little, like, wire mesh things. And each of those little plastic pieces is a part that when you put it all together, according to the plan that it gives you in the box, you get this sick robot at the end of it. Um, I have three of them in my office if you want to come check them out. So That's a little nerdy plug, uh, for me. But, um, here's the thing about it though. The instruction manual that comes with them, it's in Japanese. Like, you can't read it, but what you can do is you can follow the pictures. And so that's what I do. I follow the pictures. Um The tricky thing about Gundams, and I feel like they're, like, next-level Lego sets because the pieces are tiny. At times, you have to get tweezers and, like, another set of tweezers to hold the pieces together to, like, get in the stick. Um There's no glue involved. There's nothing like that. They all just kind of fit together. But you also have to use, like, jewelry snippers to, like, free the pieces in the right way so you don't have little, like pieces left over. But after all that work, you get a pretty cool looking robot. Um, and I enjoy it. It's fun to just kind of put on a podcast and just make a Gundam. Man, now that's living. Um, but uh, what I want to focus in on here, though, is that you don't get to this thing from all these wire mesh sets unless you follow the plan. you know. And what makes a Gundam a good Gundam at the end of it is if it looks like the thing on the box. If they just start putting the pieces together and hoping that it works out, it could be a really messy set of plastic. Um, But instead, it really has to do with the plan. God is calling light good here because God has a plan and a purpose and a design for things. So light is good in this instance because it's doing what God designed it to do. In other words, he's saying, okay, that's working. It's working according to how I want it to be. And you'll see that throughout the rest of this passage. God calls something good, not because of some inherent morality to the matter itself or through the particle waves of light, but it's just to the idea of this is how I've designed it. It's working according to my plan. That makes it good. That's important to keep in mind because the principle, our first principle is this. Creation working according to God's design is good. God's design, by the way, it's all in here in the Bible. If you're ever looking for what counts as God's design. If we keep reading, uh, we'll get down to verse 11. We're going to skip around a little bit. Verse 11, God's creating some stuff, and he gets to this point. And he says, Then God said, Let the earth produce vegetation, seed bearing plants, and fruit trees on the earth, bearing, uh, bearing fruit with seed according to their kinds. And it was so. On to verse 12, the earth produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Again, this is according to God's plan. What we're reading about here in this moment is the first instance of the word fruit in the Bible. So pay attention, pay attention to this. This image of fruit won't be the last time it's mentioned here either. As we said, if you look for the word fruit, it's in all the Old Testament, all the New Testament, and not just like a statement about an apple. God loves to use fruit as an example of a growing life and the right results of something. Um, So in plants, fruit is a mechanism for scattering plant seeds throughout the surrounding environment. We know that if we've taken any biology or any botany stuff, we know kind of why fruit exists. It also tastes yummy, so there's that too. That's a nice little byproduct of it. But God purposely designed plants to reproduce themselves in this way, through fruit, right? And this design, I think, is highlighted because it's repeated. Notice that. Look back in verse, verses 11 and 12. It's repeated, this idea of fruit, and producing according to its kind. It's brought up twice. Because God designed it like this, we know that it's good, right? But it's worth asking. Why fruit? Why make it this way and not another way? Why fruitfulness? Well, I think in creation, we get to principle two, in creation, God brought forth something good and designed it to expand that goodness beyond itself into the surrounding environment. We've already determined what goodness is. It's according to God's plan. God's plan is more complex than you and I can imagine he actually enables creation to expand his own goodness throughout it. It's a pretty cool thing when we think about why fruit, not just more stuff, but more good stuff. That's what God is doing here, according to its kind. But this doesn't stop at plants, right? We know this. Uh, If you get down to verses 20 through 25, we see God designing animals and birds and sea creatures, which is pretty neat. Uh, He does all this on purpose. And he gives the creatures a similar mandate in verses 22, and it's implied in verse 24. But if you look at 22, it says this, God bless them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the waters of the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. God gives a command to some sentient creatures to be fruitful and multiply, which is interesting, right? He doesn't just tell the plants to be fruitful because they make fruit, but this Idea of fruitfulness is even extended into biological, uh, like sentient life. I mentioned we asked the question a second ago about why fruit. Here's kind of another thought question to consider. Why didn't God, when he was making creation, just create all at once all of the plants that there needed to be, all the animals that there needed to be, and all of the people that there needed to be? and not even have reproduction or fruit, or anything like that? He could have, right? He could have done it that way, but he decided not to. Why is that? Why not just make everything at once? Well, there are natural factors at play that lead to reproduction. We know this, in a variety of different areas. And the expansion of life in the world comes to those things. But at the end of the day, what scripture tells us is that God is the one that brings forth life. Whether or not a bee gets the pollen on it and goes to the flower and everything, God is the one that has to orchestrate the path of that bee and the wind and the weather and everything else that has happened for those sequence of events to happen in just the right way. Same thing is true for a baby being born. There's different things that go into that happening, But that's all eventually, like all of that sequence of events is, again, it's dictated by God. God is the one that makes the final decision. And we know this because we have various passages that point to it. Um, All life is told to be fruitful. And we see that in Psalm 36, 9, the psalmist writes that for the wellspring of life is with you. By means of your light, we see light. All life comes from God. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 15 says for It was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's room, and I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your life matters. It's not an accident. It's on purpose. Your works are wonderful, wondrous. I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. God is the giver and the former of life. Going even further, we talked about Mark chapter four, verses 26 through 29 in our first week when we defined fruitfulness. And in this parable, uh, as it says, a man scatters the seed on the ground, he sleeps, rises night and day, the seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how, he doesn't have to know how because God is the one that brings the growth. God is the one that brings forth life. It's his call at the end of the day, whether or not life springs into action. And so here we find our third principle for the night. Fruitfulness is an expression of God's creative power daily at work in the world. That's why he didn't just create all the people all at once or all the animals all at once and just kind of have it be this diorama. God is still creating. God is still at work in the things that he's doing in Genesis chapter 1. Simply put, God designed creation to take part in creation going forward. It's a pretty remarkable thing. It's pretty profound as well, if you think about it. The good things are making more good things with the help of their creator. It is a greater miracle, I believe, in my view, that God can gift his creation with responsibility in creation than if he just made everything all at once. I think it's a cool thing to think about. Life matters, as we've said multiple times in this section. But we know that it also doesn't stop there, right? So we have these building of principles of what is good, what is God's design, why fruitfulness, why this reproduction and everything, why this expansion of God's goodness across creation. And then we come in verse 26 to God creating humanity. Read along with me, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. We've read the accounts of the different parts of creation being made. And there's something unique about humanity in this if we're looking at it, right? We notice that there's something different here. Um, These principles that we just mentioned, they still apply to us as humans, but they're nuanced in a different way. We're given a similar command to the animals to be fruitful and multiply. But let's look at those two things that kind of set us apart from the animal kingdom. The first thing is this idea and concept of the image of God. Have you ever considered what the image of God is? It's a common statement in Christianity to say, hey, that person is made in the image of God. They are worthy. They have value. And we like that statement, and it's true. Like, it is just right here. It's true. But what does it actually mean? It's a really deep theological concept when you dive into it. Um, and there's three, like, just to boil it down for you a little bit, there's three main views that theologians take when it comes to the image of God and what it actually is. Like, what does that mean? Does it mean that God has a body and we look like God, like God has ten fingers and toes and stuff? No, that's not what it means. What it means is maybe one of these three things. Maybe it's a combination of all of them. The first one is the idea of reason. The image of God for some theologians is this idea that humanity is unique in its ability to have rational thought. God is a rational considered being, and he gives us the ability to have rationality as well. That's one view. Maybe that's the image of God. Another view is this idea of relationship. And this is the viewpoint that God is always, and we learned about this this past Sunday when we studied the Trinity, God is in constant communion with himself between his persons, right? He's in perfect unity with himself between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's a unique relationship there. But somehow what we learn through the gospel is that you and I can enter into that relationship with him in a unique and special way that the angels can't. Demons can't accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior and get saved, Right? So maybe there's this aspect of relationship, this ability that we have to have a relationship with God that sets us apart from the animal kingdom. Another view is the responsibility. And this has to do with the command that's given to humanity in verse 28, which is to be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. God is ultimately in control of creation, right? We can agree with that, right? But he extends some of that responsibility to you and I. So maybe the image of God is this responsibility that we have in creation. I think the answer is probably somewhere in between all of that, where I like to lean, just if you're interested in my position, um, I like the relationship one the most. I think that one is the most compelling for me personally, but I think that there is something to be said for all of them. Um, And I want us in particular to examine the thing of the responsibility because all of this is true about people, the challenge with the reason one, if we get on a tangent for a second, here we go. The challenge with the one about reason is that there are people who aren't able to think rationally because of impairments and other things like that. Does that make them less human? No. There's something else that's a part of us that makes us human. So most theologians today, like that was a prevailing thought, especially during the enlightenment period, about rationality being the thing that makes us like God, that that image of God. But nowadays, we see things differently. So most theologians don't really hold to the first one. They usually land between one of the two over there. Um, But let's look at that command. Regardless of whether or not it's the responsibility or relationship, we are given this command in verse 28. So let's look at it. This command in particular, there's a name for it right now in in theology called the creation mandate. The creation mandate. Um, Looking at it in verse 28, God says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Some translations say subdue. What does some other translations say in that? We're all saying subdue in our translations, more or less? Okay, cool. That's the word. Well, in the original language, if you look back at it and study it, and looking at some commentaries that talked about it, What they highlighted is that the connotation of that word that we translate into subdue is more of this idea of a gentle control or cultivating or guiding. Um, I want to think about cultivating a garden. There are times when you have to be really gentle with plants. And then there are times we have to pull them out of their pot and, you know, get them out from being root bound and put them in a new place. Or there's times we have to rip out our weed. Right? Like there's a there's a gentleness, but there's also like some firmness that is sometimes required. That's the idea that's being communicated with this idea of subdue. It's not a violent submission and like domination of the planet. All the resources are ours. Ha ha ha. Like that's not what God is saying here. God is saying steward this, steward creation so that it can flourish. So the good things that I have designed can continue to flourish and grow and be good things beyond that. Um, in essence, the creation mandate in verse 20, 28 tasks us with expanding the goodness of God in this world through the cultivation of creation. And that doesn't just mean like, Hey, have a bunch of kids, right? That's not really what this is getting at. Um, but rather it's this idea of, man, you've got to support and encourage the expansion of God's plan, his goodness and his glory in all realms of life the fruit of the Spirit, having that be made manifest in your life. Last year, we spent a lot of time talking about the definition of love, which is wanting God's best for someone and taking action to see it happen. Well, that extends into the creation mandate. Are we wanting God's best for other people? Are we living lives that cultivate the goodness of God in the world around us at all levels or not? What is your life centered around? What is your life purpose? Is it fruitfulness? Is it this? Or is it achievement? Is it a relationship? Is it a certain dollar amount on your paycheck? Life is more than those things. Our original created purpose is to cultivate the garden of creation and expand God's goodness in all realms of life. This, I believe, is what fruitful living looks like fruitful living, following God, ultimately. I want to come back to the story of the cana lilies at the beginning. Um, As I said, it dominated the flower beds naturally. And when we uh, do what we're created to do in line with God's plans, we can grow and see an expansion of his goodness in our surroundings as well. When we love well, and we share boldly, and we serve humbly, we do those things, we will see the expansion of his goodness. But this picture, I believe, of the cane lily dominating an environment, I think kind of applies in the other direction as well. When we talk about sin, there's an invasive species in the garden, and it's sin. God didn't create the world with sin in place. Instead, in Genesis 3, just two chapters later, humanity makes a decision. We say, look, God, we know you have a plan, but we don't fully trust it. I think my plan's better than your plan. I'm going to pick your plan instead. So God didn't create the world in a broken way, but it ended up that way. In doing so, this invasion took place and the world broke. We see that in the world around us today. Now we see the expansion of not just good things from God, but the expansion of evil in our world. And it can feel like it's dominating the flower bed. There's nothing else good that can grow. And that's not just in our world, but also in our personal lives. If we look in the mirror and look at our life, we're not careful. Sin can get out of control. And it can start dominating the landscape. Sealing away your joy, sealing away your ability to focus on God, sealing away your ability to love others well, You just get choked out. Sin has this expanding kind of power as well. But there's good news, and it comes in two parts. First is that evil is not an equal force to good. It's not. It's not as powerful as good is. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, if you come into my office, I have like almost every book he's ever written and all the letters he's ever written. Um, He talks about good and evil in his book, Mere Christianity. Um, And he argues that good things can exist for themselves, but evil things cannot. In other words, let's talk about an example. I can love somebody and sacrificially serve them just for the sake that it's the good thing to do, right? We could acknowledge that. But no one outside of like cartoon villains that don't exist truly does evil just for the sake of the fact that it's evil. They do those things in order to achieve something else, whether that be pleasure or power or wealth or something else. Evil is really just another way of pursuing God's goods on our terms, which is what happened in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. They wanted knowledge and they wanted power and they went after it in their own way. And that's when evil came into the world. All evil can really do, according to Scripture, and as C.S. Lewis puts it, is twist the good things of God or hinder them. It's just trying to get in the way. It's trying to mess things up. And it does a really good job of it, right? But here's the other piece of good news. The other piece of good news is that evil has been defeated by Jesus. In Genesis chapter 3, They make that bad decision. They sin and doom humanity. But God doesn't leave them there. God gives Eve a promise. Hey, from the fruit of humanity, from your offspring, there will come a Savior. Sin separates us from God. But when Jesus came, that eventual Savior, he died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sin, took it all on his back and made a way for you and I to know God and to live with our created purpose once again. Not for ourselves, not in an evil way, twisting the good things of God in the hopes that we get what we want. And amazingly, what we see as a testimony of Scripture is that God's design for the expansion of goodness in his creation is fruit. And God's plan for redemption of his creation is also fruit through Jesus. We have a role to play if we have a life with Christ in the flourishing of creation through helping humanity find redemption in Jesus. That's what a fruitful life is all about as a Christian. If you notice, the creation mandate in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 echoes all the way through Scripture, all the way to Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20, which is the Great Commission we read it so many times, probably haven't memorized it by now, but it says this, Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Even here, God again is saying, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth with the good things of God. We we have a job to do. And because of the good things of the gospel and how God redeems us, we have the ability to be back with him in our purpose. In this commission, we're given a spiritual dimension to the creation mandate. By loving like Jesus and making disciples, we can expand the goodness of God and the love of Jesus to our world that desperately needs it. So we've been given a mandate and a beautiful calling to bring about greater, richer beauty in this world. What will you do with that? How will you live that out in your life? Will you join the gardening club of the gospel? By loving like Jesus and making disciples, we expand the goodness and love of Jesus to a world that desperately needs it. As we close, I want to present a challenge and a question, as we always do. Here's my challenge. This might be something like, man, that sounds kind of weird. Try it out. Why not? Let's get a little crazy with it. Here's my challenge to you: spend time in creation this week. Go to a park. If you're new to the area, River Legacy is my favorite park in the area. Uh, Consider some creation and consider how it glorifies God. Maybe you look at a single flower. Maybe you look at a view. Maybe you look at some water. Um, Consider how it glorifies God and ask God in that moment how he might be calling you to expand his goodness to somebody else. Ask that question of God in creation sometime this week. I challenge you to do it. Take some time. It's a really good study break. Try it out. Uh, Then the question, this is the question we ask every week, which is what is your response to the word of God tonight? Maybe you need to turn your life over to God for the first time. You've been living on your own, pursuing your own way. And it's not stacking up like you hoped it would. And it won't, by the way, never will. Something is only really good when it's in line with God's design. We learned at the very beginning. God's design is for you to know him, walk with him and be filled by him. So maybe you need to give your life to Jesus tonight. Maybe you need to follow Jesus in baptism. We're gonna be celebrating the baptism of Gabe. He's come to several of our Sunday school stuff uh, over the last couple of weeks. And so I'm excited to get to baptize him this Sunday. Let's make sure to celebrate him. But maybe you need to follow the Lord in baptism, and you've never done that, and you have questions. I mean I would love to talk to you about that. Memory would love to talk to you about that if you have any questions about baptism. Maybe you need to take stock of your garden. Where are you right now? Where are things? Are they out of control? Is there some invasive species that's dominating the landscape? Or maybe God's calling you in some specific way with some specific person, to share His goodness. Let's stand to our feet. Uh, as we kind of consider these things and uh, we'll break into groups of three to discuss and then after a few minutes we will dismiss so groups of three and